Welcome to the sermon podcast of First Church of Christ, where our goal is to lead generations into a life-changing, ever-growing relationship with Jesus Christ. We pray that you are encouraged and challenged by today's message. Well, good morning, church. It's good to see you all. Rewind a little bit. Back in the fall of 2020, I remember um, not feeling like my normal self. I felt like I was on the edge of the precipice, and what I was looking down upon was burnout. Um, And maybe some of you have felt that way over the last two years, just moments where you feel as though everything seems to be falling apart. Um, Well, I I didn't want to stay that way because I saw that in my future, so I decided to start doing some things uh, differently. I started doing some deep soul and heart work. I started going to counseling. I started reading books that would help me along the way. And back in October of 2020, I started reading a book called Leading on Empty because I felt like I was leading and, and living on empty. And in the, the book, uh, the author, Will Cordero, he pointed out something, he used language that really connected with me. And he said that usually when someone is on the edge or the precipice of burnout or uh, things just aren't working the way they normally would, um, they're struggling. It's usually because they get confused um, in, in practice on responsibilities and concerns. He pointed out that responsibilities are the things that we have, um, we have control over. We can do things. We can directly impact these things. It's our responsibilities. But our concerns are the things that we tend to worry about that we have no direct effect on. We have no direct ability to do anything about it. And what usually happens is we elevate our concerns above our responsibilities so that we're worried about everything that's happening around us and all the things that we can't change, but we're worried about those. That's what we're thinking about. And in the meantime, the things that are are in our responsibility are in the realm of control that we can affect. We tend to neglect them. And maybe some of that sounds familiar. I was reading an article by uh, Kerry Newhoff. He asked the question, I think it's a really important question to consider. He asked the question, is our society as a whole on the edge of burnout? Is our society as a whole, are we all just kind of slowly fading toward burnout? Now, obviously, that's a big question. We really can't answer it for sure. Um, But if enough people are experiencing the same kind of signs of burnout at the same time, then that would mean that maybe his conclusion that, yes, we are, is right. And here are some of the things that he points to that may be signs of someone on the precipice of burning out. Uh, when your cynicism is rising is one of them. When you just grow even more and even more cynical, like are you more cynical today than you have been in the past? Then maybe that's a sign. Another thing that he points to is that numbness becomes normal. Numbness becomes normal, that your uh, kind of steady feeling and emotion is not uh, happiness or sadness, it's just numbness. It's just to become numb because you've had so much stuff hitting you and you just kind of, that's how you cope. Another thing is loss of motivation. When you've got no motivation, you used to be motivated to pursue certain things and then now all of a sudden you feel yourself at a loss for motivation, you don't, you don't pursue anything, you're just kind of steadily stagnant, then maybe that's also a sign. Uh, he points to the inability to think straight. Um, and I know that that was one major one for me. It's like this constant brain fog. 
You can't, like, you, you want to get away. You want to be able to have some, some time to get away from the hustle and bustle of life and, and kids and grandkids and, and friends and coworkers and bosses and all that. You want to get away and be able to just think a little bit more clearly. And you do maybe get to that point and then you find that clarity is still beyond your grasp. Um, another thing that he points to is self-medicating. Like, in order to cope, we just start to go to some things to help us take off the tension, to take off the edge. We go to substances, we go to, um, we go to alcohol, we go to uh, sexual sin, we go to things to release the tension, and yet we find ourselves right back in the same spot, or maybe even worse. Um, you know, what, what we see is that in some ways we are people living in darkness sometimes. It can feel that way. And what we're going to talk about today is Jesus addressing that very thing. Those moments when you feel like everything is dark around you, when you feel like there's more struggle than there is victory, when you feel like you, like some of us, we get frustrated lately. We've been so frustrated that we've gotten frustrated about our frustration. Right? Some of us have been become so anxious that we've got, become anxious about our anxiety. Right? Like some of us, we've, we've been in that space. And, and what we're going to talk about today is what I believe Jesus would say to those of us who are struggling, to those of us who are frustrated about how much we've been frustrated about, that, that to those of us who have been angry about things that normally wouldn't have made us angry, but we find ourselves angry. He's going to show us, I believe what we're going to see in this passage, is what he would say to each and every one of us who have struggled or are struggling or may struggle at some point. And so if you're not feeling the things I've been describing, that's okay. Maybe in a year or maybe in a week or maybe in two years, like maybe this is when you're going to need this message. So take it, dial in, put it in your pocket for another day. But some of us, we don't need to be convinced that we feel this way. We know. That we've been struggling, and, and I believe Jesus has something for us. So if you have a Bible, we're going to be uh, continuing in Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4, um, we're going to jump into specifically verses 12 through 17. So this is what uh, Matthew tells us, the account of Jesus. I've been walking through the gospel of Matthew. This is what he says. When he, as in Jesus, when he heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee He left Nazareth and went to live in Capernaum by the sea in the region of Zebulun and Naphtali. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. Land of Zebulun and land of Naphtali, along the road by the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people who live in darkness have seen a great light. And for those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. When he heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee. So if you remember, as we've been walking through the book of Matthew, uh, let me just bring us back to the bigger picture here. What we've recently seen in the last month and a half or so is that uh, Jesus went to John the Baptist, who was preaching in the wilderness, a message of repentance for the kingdom of heaven has come near. And so uh, Jesus went down to the wilderness where John was and said, hey, I want you to baptize me. Um, and so John argued with them. was like, hey, no, you need to be baptizing me. I don't need to be baptizing you. And Jesus, you know, won that argument as he 
always does. Um, and John baptized Jesus. And as God the Son, Jesus went down into the water as he came up. Uh, heaven opened and this amazing picture, uh, God the Holy Spirit came down onto Jesus like a dove from heaven. And then the Heavenly Father declared this declaration over Jesus and said that this is my Son in whom I'm well pleased. And so now God the Son is walking and dwelled by the Holy Spirit and Jesus immediately is led by the Spirit into the wilderness and uh, he is fasting for 40 days and for 40 nights. Sometimes God will lead us through some stuff because he knows that that stuff will grow us to become the people we need to be. And so Jesus um, is fasting 40 days, 40 nights, is obviously hungry, right? It's an understatement, like he's ready for some golden corral, you know? Like he can't, just one meal ain't going to do it. He needs the buffet, right? He needs to make up for 40 days. And he has, lives in 40 days of regret, amen? <laughs> uh, and so the devil takes an opportunity as Jesus is hungry, comes and visits him and tries to tempt him to go off of the path that Jesus was on. And ultimately what we saw a few weeks ago is that the devil was trying to get Jesus to bow down in worship of him. And in, in, in uh, response to that, the devil was going to offer him all the kingdoms of the earth as payment, as a blessing for his worship of him. And so as we know, we, we saw that Jesus resisted the devil and the devil ended up fleeing from him. And then Jesus was ministered to by the angels. And then we come to a point where now he's past that point in the wilderness. We, we don't know how much time has gone on, but now all of a sudden he gets word that John the Baptist has been arrested. And later in Matthew, we're going to find out what the story was behind that. But spoiler alert, um, John did not do something bad. He did something that required great courage. He did something that was quite good, and he got arrested for it. And so Jesus uh, leaves the wilderness, goes back up to his home region of Galilee, where he grew up. And he ended up not going and staying in Nazareth, his hometown, but he goes to Capernaum. And the scriptures describe it. If you have your Bible, you can look at it. It's not going to be on the screen, but you can see it in Matthew 4.15. It says, uh, this is Matthew quoting from the prophet Isaiah, who lived 600 to 700 years before the life of Jesus, before he came on to the earth. Um, and he was prophesying this. He said, land of Zebulun, land of Naphtali, along the road by the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people who live in darkness have seen a great light. The people who live in darkness. He was describing a people in, in the midst of this. Isaiah was, was ministering in a time where Israel was on the verge of being um, invaded by enemy nations, first the Assyrians and then later the Babylonians, and so they were going to be invaded. And uh, Isaiah speaks something that is going to come true in Jesus going to Galilee to this place called the land of Zebulun, the land of Naphtali. And this is really interesting because he calls this place a land of darkness, and it's a land of darkness for a number of reasons, people living in darkness for a number of reasons. First, um, just a little geography lesson. Um, so I, I won't nerd out too long, but I, I need this. You guys need this in your, in your minds, and you can impress your friends later, okay? You can tell them about this. So in Israel, um, if you think about where they are in the earth, um, they are on, to the west of them is the Mediterranean Sea, 
And so if you were going to try, if you were an enemy nation, you're like, hey, the Israelites, I want to take them over. If you were going to go and do that, you would need to go north of where Israel was to a port, which is the closest port. Um, and then you needed to go there and invade from the north. If you are um, southwest of that would be Egypt and the rest of Africa. If you were going to try and invade Israel, you come from the southwest, which oftentimes didn't happen. Um, but then if you were from the east or the north, then you would have had to go from the north because from the east of Israel was a desert and is a desert. And so if you had an entire army and you were marching, you know, and you were like, let's go to war, you know, you wanted the rest of your soldiers to live through that journey, right? Because you didn't want to go there, turn around and like, oh, it's just me. <laughs> Rawr, you know, like that wouldn't work out. So you needed your army. So they would travel along the Tigris and Euphrates River. Um, and so it was basically bring them, if, if I'm looking at it from your perspective, it would bring them this way, Israel being right here, and they would have to come from the north. And so the land of Zebulun and land of Naphtali was a war-torn area because they were the place that the, that the, the, the conflict would begin. So they were used to being under distress and under siege and under fighting. Okay? So land of Zebulun, land of Naphtali, this was a place that was used to war. Um, and then additionally, this was a place of the land of the Gentiles. So if you were a good and faithful first century Jew living in Jerusalem, what you would think about the people in Galilee were they were less than. They were, they were among the pagans. So they were obviously less holy than you living in Jerusalem. Um, and so when Jesus left the devil and the devil left him, Jesus, we shouldn't be surprised, went to the place of darkness where the domain of darkness, the domain of the devil was. He went to the place where people needed hope. He went to the place where they were living in the land of the shadow of death. And so Jesus went to there. So they, they were, in, in very real way, land of Zebulun, land of Naphtali, this place of the Galilee of the Gentiles. Um, this was a place in, in, in thought and in reality was a people living in darkness. And Jesus didn't leave them alone. He went to them. And that is really good news. So one thing that we need to always remember is that um, the darkness is the devil's playground. That's where he likes to have fun. And so we shouldn't be surprised that when the devil left him, uh, Jesus then went on the offensive and went to the domain where the devil reigned. And so where he was, the Jesus was going to pursue the people who were under his dominion. And so what we see is, you know, we've got to remember what the schemes of the devil are. That's why we spent five weeks on 11 verses in Matthew chapter 4, talking about spiritual warfare. It's because the devil's daily devotion is division. Like we, we've seen that in our lives and we live through that and look around. We are living in the midst of a great level of division in our country and around the world. And sometimes we forget that this, that, that that division is the daily devotion of the devil. That that's what he's trying to do every single day is he wants to divide you. He wants to divide the church. He wants to divide your family. He wants to divide you and your spouse. He wants to divide you and your friends. He wants to divide you and your community. He wants to divide you. What does that mean, divide you? It means that if you are a Christ-centered person who wants to follow Jesus, then what he wants you to do is to do things that are contrary to your character. He wants to get you to do things that are not honoring God if you want to honor God. He wants to divide you. 
And we, we so oftentimes we get enveloped inside of the division and we not only uh, look at it and are, and are kind of troubled by it, but we even participate in it. Followers of Jesus. Like I just say, like, if I were not a Christian, when I, if I had not become a follower of G- Jesus when I did, and I was then looking at the Christian faith in the last two years, I don't know if I would have believed Christians who said they had hope. Because of the way that I've seen them behave. The way that I've seen them live. And I just have to wonder, like, sometimes we get so caught up in the divisions of our day. that We sacrifice our witness of the people who need hope. Who are living in darkness. That they need to see a great light. And because Jesus died, resurrected, and ascended to the throne room of heaven. And sent the Holy Spirit to dwell in you. And that means you and me are the beacon of light that people are going to see. Is it shining? Because also, like, one of the uh, atomic habits of the devil is also slander and insult. That's one of the little things that he wants to do every single day. He wants to just throw that out there so it can build and build and build. And what we've seen, what we've witnessed is not just us um, watching the slander and insults and being entertained by the slander and insults, but we've celebrated it and we've participated in it. Y'all, we are in, living in a land of darkness. We are people living in darkness. And we've been the ones who have seen a great light. Let us not get jaded or get, uh, get, get sidetracked by the devil and his schemes so that we forget the hope that we have in Jesus in the midst of our day that is full of chaos and full of things, concerns that we have no control over. May we focus on what we can control, keeping our eyes Fixed and focused on the author of our faith, Jesus Christ. And so he went to that place, that land of darkness, so that he could give them hope. Kerry Newhoff, uh, that, the same one I referred to earlier, he, he points out 11 signs that you may be experiencing burnout, or uh, what I'm going to say is that you may be living in darkness. Uh, this is just a, a 11, 11 things that maybe if this, if some of these ring true for you, maybe you're tired. If half of them ring true, then maybe you're burn like on the or verge of burnout. And if all of them resonate with it, with you, then 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 you really need to seek some help because you may already be there. Okay, uh, this is what he points to: that, that your passion fades. Has your passion faded? You used to be focused and motivated. Uh, Jesus used to get you excited. And, and the things that you're going after, the purpose you have in your life, used to get you fired up and ready to go. That, that sometimes we live in a season, right? Sometimes it could just be a season where our passion fades. But sometimes, we, some of us have been living for decades. And our passion lost was gone long ago. Uh, number two is that your main emotion is numbness. As I said before, that you no longer feel the highs or the lows. And y'all, we're human beings. We're meant to feel and experience happiness and joy and sadness and lament. And if you're just kind of steady in the middle, then maybe you're suffering from some numbness. And maybe there's something underneath that that you need to look at. The third thing he points to is that the little things make you disproportionately angry. The little things. The things that used to not bother you. The things that used to just, you could just, whatever, like it's not a big deal. But now it bothers you. Now you get angry. Watch that. Pay attention. Number four, it says everybody drains you. Uh, And the church wants to say, amen. Number five, you're becoming cynical. 
that, that you know, is just, I don't know about them. I don't know about them. Lack of trust. Number six, nothing satisfies you. You just, you can't, you can't find any satisfaction. Number seven, you can't think straight. We talked about that. Number eight, your productivity is dropping. Number nine, you're self-medicating. Number 10, you don't laugh anymore. And number 11, sleep and time off no longer refuel you. You're just always in a steady dose of fatigue and irritation. I don't know if any of that resonates with any of you, but maybe some of you do resonate with some of those things. And I'd say pay attention to that. Like, don't, don't let it just be a thing that exists over here. And as long as we can keep it over there in the corner and only deal with it when it's just me, myself, and I alone, um, then it's fine. That's not how life should be. I, life is going to be difficult. Life is going to be struggle. That is true. But also, life is beautiful and amazing and a gift from God. Like, Scripture actually says that God gave us all things to enjoy. Like, how much joy have you been finding in the regular stuff of life? I'm just saying, like, if, if that's you, like, I want you to know this is the message that you need to hear, that a light has dawned, hope is here. Jesus doesn't want to see, he doesn't want to see you stay that way. It's okay to not be okay, but it's, he wants to bring you out of that state so that you're better than you were. That you're growing. You actually do experience joy and satisfaction. Uh, th- this hope is so powerful because it's not a program or, or a specific plan. It's a person, and his name is Jesus. And he's the one who comes to us and sees us living in darkness, sees us living in the land of the shadow of death, and says, Hey, listen, I'm here. He says, I see you flailing. I see you fighting. I see you struggling. I see you trying to just muster up enough courage to make it better on your own. But understand, you're not going to be able to do it on your own. You need to surrender to me. You need to bring it to me. I see you trying to hold on to it and cling for control. But you've got to just let me have it because you can't affect this. I can. He said, I see you struggling. I see you fighting. I see you frustrated at yourself about how frustrated you've been. I see you. I love you. And he's inviting us to come to him and give all of our burdens back to him so that he can carry it, so that he can do something new in your life. And I know what you're thinking. Like, you may be thinking this. Ah, okay, I hear you, Brandon. I hear you. Yes, God is good all the time. God is good. But what I'm seeing, Brandon, is this. I'm seeing I'm seeing depression. I'm seeing destruction, and I'm seeing death. When I look at the world, that's what I'm seeing. When I look at my own life, that's what I'm seeing. When I look at my family and my friends and the people I used to roll with, I'm seeing depression and destruction and death. What do you say to that? Where's God in all of that? And and here's the cool thing, y'all. We can be honest with God, and we can point those things out because he can handle it. This is the cool thing. When you follow Jesus, you can look life straight in the eyes. You can look at eye to eye, face to face, and you can you can you don't have to gloss over it as if it's not that way because there is depression there is destruction there is death but Jesus sees it too and he didn't leave you alone to deal with it on your own he says I'm coming to be with you 
Where did he go? He went to the land uh, uh, where the people who were living in darkness. He, that's where he went to, the people who were living in darkness. Who did he hang out with? He got criticized by the religious people, by the church folks for hanging around sinners. People who actually knew they needed some help. He went to the land of the Galilee of the Gentiles, the people who didn't know God. He went to the people who knew God and didn't know God. He went to the people who were self-confident and to the people who were self-loathing. He came to bring hope to the people who, who have lost their way, to the people who get in their own way, and the people who have barriers in their way. He came to provide himself as the hope that they need, to provide a new way of life. He says, I see you suffering from that sadness and that depression. I'm going to meet you there. And I'm going to walk with you no matter how long it takes to get out of it. I'm going to walk with you through it. And I'm going to teach you some things about yourself and about life that you can learn from it. And you can help someone else on the other side of it. I, I know. I see the destruction. I see what's going on in the world. I see the wars and the rumors of wars. In fact, Jesus, when someone asked him, what are the signs of the end times? Like, when, when can we know that you're on the verge of returning? When can we know that God is going to bring heaven down to earth and, and bring on his kingdom in the fullness? Jesus said one of the signs of the end will be wars and rumors of wars. And it's so funny to me because there's these, some, some of these websites that have like the prophecy watch or something. You know, like we're watching for prophecy happening right in front of us. Guess what? Guess how long wars and rumors of wars have existed in human life? From the beginning, y'all. When Jesus said, hey, be on the lookout when you see wars and rumors of wars, then know that the end is near. And they're like, you mean now? Yes. Be on the lookout all the time. I see the destruction. That's what Jesus said. I see it. And it's the product, it's the end result of the vision that the devil has been stowing and stoking in our world. Like us humans, like we're, we have a hard time getting along, right? We really do. We've gotten really good at killing each other. Like we're skilled at it. And Jesus sees that. He says, hey, listen, listen. I'm calling you into something different. And what we're going to see here in a second, he's calling us into the kingdom of heaven. To be a new people. Yes, destruction is, it exists. Sin exists. But he says, even, even in the midst of destruction, God's building something new. And so what about death? Because I, I see death. I see, I experience it. I, I see it around me. I, I, I grieve for it. And Jesus, this is the cool thing. He, he loved you so very much that the one thing that plagues us all, like none of us are getting out of this thing alive, right? We're all gonna, we're all gonna face this thing that all, it, it, plagues us all. Death does, right? It's the, the ultimate human problem. And, and what Jesus did is he loves you so much that he was willing to die the death you deserved, go down into death, if you think about it as a realm, because it is, go down into Hades and to defeat the, the hold that the devil had on the people who died. And that's why when he raised to life on the third day, that's why it's so significant. Because he's got the keys to death. So that even when you die, if you follow after him, even when you die, you don't actually die. In fact, what's crazy is that when you die, you begin to experience life like you have never been before. And that is the amazing thing that Jesus has done, that you can follow him with confidence and without fear, that not even if someone tries to kill you for your faith, it doesn't take away the hope that you have. 
Because your hope is not in this world, it's in Him. Jesus came so that we would be able to walk with that kind of hope. So he goes on, verse 17, it says this, From then on, Jesus began to preach, Repent, because the kingdom of heaven has come near. From then on, Jesus began to preach, Repent, because the kingdom of heaven has come near. That's the, that's the message he gave to the people who were living in darkness, the people who were living in the land of the shadow of death. He says, I see you struggling. I see you fighting. I see you where you are. I see the way you're going about things. I see the patterns you just consistently fall into. I see all the reasons you've got for the way that you live. I, I see it. I see the struggle. And this is his message. And this is the thing that I, I was saying. Hey, this is his message to any of you who are frustrated about how frustrated you've been, who are anxious about how, how much anxiety you've been experiencing. Who are, who are so uh, overcome with sadness, who, who, who are struggling so deeply, who are on the verge of burnout. This is Jesus' message to you and me. <laughs> Repent. Because the kingdom of heaven has come near. Now I know that doesn't sound like a very hopeful message. Repent! You know, it's usually like... <laughs> Repent, right? Like on the, on the side of the, the road and the people are yelling at you. Repent! Avoid the hellfire, right? But repentance is a beautiful opportunity. It's a beautiful privilege and thing that God has bestowed upon us right in front of us. Because what repentance means is that we turn away from where we've been going and turn after and follow after God. And what that means is that a new life, a new way of life, uh, uh, more joy, more purpose. Like, yes, you're going to still struggle because life is full of of hardship. Okay, but he's going to be with you. But the, the cool thing is life change begins right here. With a choice. With a decision. That you can decide. If, if you've been frustrated about way the, the way your life has been, you can decide to repent from the way you've been doing it and follow after him. Now, that's not going to solve all your problems because you're going to have a lot to learn, a lot, of, a lot of new patterns to develop and a lot of new things to learn, a lot of new things to, to understand about yourself and about the way you've been operating. But, but what he's saying is repent because the kingdom of heaven has come near. And what that means is there's a new way. There's a new way to live. A new way to live that brings about what God has always sought to bring about. If you struggle with ever experiencing joy, the fruit of the Spirit will grow that in you. But you've got to be willing to decide. I'm going to follow after him. It begins with the choice. It's really empowering. But it's not just willpower. Okay? Because your willpower is going to run out. It's going to get on E real quick. But, but that's why God has given you the Holy Spirit indwelling you. So that when you get weary, when you get frustrated, the Holy Spirit is there giving you an opportunity to decide to follow after Him and to not believe the lies that you've been believing about yourself. And to start to believe what God says about you. To guide you and to shape you and to make you into the person He wants you to be. Not to the person who's made in the image of darkness. But made in the image of God, who is light. It begins with that. And then the cool thing, the amazing thing, right, is that Eli was talking about community groups. 
is that when you start to follow after Jesus, the Holy Spirit indwells you, you start to decide, I'm going to repent, I'm going to follow after him in this area. Oh, God just noticed, uh, God just put me in, in, in awareness of this other thing that I need to give to him. I've not been following him after that. I'm going to turn away from that, repent, turn back to God. I'm going to just continue and grow and grow and grow. Here's the cool thing. Sometime, some days you're going to stumble and fall. And as he said, we need other people to pick us back up. And this is the beautiful thing. God did not save you just for you to be like, oh, it's me and Jesus. That's fine. But you also were brought into a family. Look around, y'all. Look around. Look at each other. Don't look at me. Stop looking at me. Stop looking at me. Don't look at me. Okay. See each other? Family of God. Body of Christ. Kingdom people. That's who these people are. If you follow Jesus, you are brought together by the blood of Christ as brothers and sisters in him. And so that when when we get down, if you're living in community, you've got people who are going to help you through that. Y'all don't do life alone. We're better together. And that's the amazing thing that Jesus has brought. He brought us not just into salvation, but he said, repent because the kingdom of heaven has come near. That means it's a people, a group. And if you've been Lone Ranger Christianing it your whole entire life, then repent of that because you're missing out on what God's design was for your life. He says, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. So what's the, what's the darkness that Jesus is calling you out of? Is it, is it habitual sin? Like you've got a sin that you've been, you say like, oh, I've been struggling, but you've not actually put up a fight. You're not put your dukes up. Is it habitual sin that he's calling you out of? Is it, is it addiction? Is it loneliness? Is it isolation? Is it, is it sadness? Is it depression? What's the darkness that he's calling you out of? What's the, the bitterness in your heart toward other people? The cynicism about where the world is going because you've started to believe the, 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 the headlines of the media instead of believing what God has said in the end that he wins. What is it that he's calling you out of? What's the darkness? Here, here are some things that I believe we must repent of if this is in our lives. Just five things. There's more. It's not, it's not, you know, it's not conclusive, but just five things that come to mind. False hopes. If you, if you find yourself with false hopes, you need to repent of that. What, is I, what do I mean by that? It's putting your hope, putting your, your picture. What would, be, what would be good about the future if I had this? What's my hope? What's the thing I'm striving for ultimately to experience that I believe if I ultimately get this, then I'll receive, I'll experience ultimate happiness? What's that thing? What's that thing for you? Is it money? Is it, is it, is it pleasure? Is it, is it achievement? Is it is just con- complete uh, uh, experience without any struggle? Like just living life void of any kind of struggle? To avoid anything difficult? What, what is your false hope? That I believe if I get this, then, then everything will be fine. Because remember, hope is not a, a program or a plan or, a, or a, anything else. It's a, it's a person. His name is Jesus. He's the one your hope should be in. So repent of that. Is it staying in the dark? i, I got to explain this. You must repent of staying in the dark. And here's what I mean. This, is, this has been part of my story. I've had to, to wrestle with this. 
Sometimes if you've experienced some kind of trauma or abuse or something uh, dramatically negative that you've started to kind of identify with that thing. Like, uh, I, I, I could identify myself as a person who dealt with this or as a person who dealt with that. Like, that can start to attach to our identity to where we see ourselves through the lens of that Sin or that abuse or that thing that happened to us or that thing that we did. And we can start to see ourselves in that frame of mind. And what I'm saying is uh, you need to repent of that because I needed to repent of that. And all of us, if you're staying in the darkness, because this is what it means. If you identify as your struggle, if your struggle is part of your identity, you're going to have a really hard time freeing, like walking away from it. You're going to want to stay there because that's a place of weird comfort for you, security, because I understand that. This is who I am. But, but Jesus wants to give you a new identity, one that's free from all of those bondages. Another thing is that uh, we must repent of believing our sinful past more than God's gracious future. It's kind of like that, like maybe you've got something in your past that you, that you struggle with and you can't, you just it's still find it hard to believe that God loves you even in the midst of that happening as part of your past. Um, you need to repent of believing that more than you believe God's gracious future for you. What is it for you? Maybe it's, maybe it's not necessarily that, but it's, uh, well, um, this is what was true for me in my relationships back then, so I know that that's what's going to be true for me in my relationships moving forward. And so then you isolate and you don't spend any time with people because you believe that the hurts that are in the past are going to continue to be in the future. Ignoring the fact that God may free you from those hurts and also bring you into more gracious, life-giving relationships. What is it for you? Are you believing the past more than you believe the future that God has? What is biggest in your life. If you're believing the past more than you believe what Jesus wants to do in your present and in your future, I encourage you to repent. Another thing is some of us, um, we're type A. We got plans. We got plans for our plans. We got sub points for our plans. We've got backup plans for the backup plans. We got plan Z, you know, and we're working on plan double A, right? Um, who's the planners in the room? You can, yeah, it's okay. You can admit it. I am. I got my hand up. Okay. Our struggle is going to be clinging to control. Clinging to control. I'm going to cling to my plan more than I'm going to cling to Jesus. And I've got to, I've got to repent of that oftentimes myself. Clinging to control. Where we believe that, uh, oh, if I can have a semblance of control, and we can, like all of us, a lot of us are honest with ourselves. And it's like, I know that I'm not actually in control, but I kind of feel like I'm in control because I can hold on to this one thing. Um, and, and so then we feel a little bit better. But I'm encouraging you to repent from that desire to cling to control because there's most things in your life are out of your control. And you need to trust God with that. Others of us, right, in the room, I'm not one of these, but you may be, um, who you, you avoid planning. Right? You're like, I don't know. We'll figure it out. Like, it's fine, you know? And, and so for, for you, um, one of the struggles may be not taking responsibility. Because there are things in your control. There are things that are your responsibility that you need to do. And sometimes uh, you, you can resist taking Take responsibility for your past actions. Like, oh yeah, I was actually a part of the problem in that relationship. Or I was actually a part of the problem in that situation. Um, and not taking responsibility because then you'll never be able to move forward. 
So we need to repent of that. Um, here's the thing, church. I want you to remember this. You don't have to keep going down this path, whatever this path is for you. You don't have to keep going down this path. You can turn to Jesus and find hope. Like, you really can. The, the thing that may feel overwhelming and debilitating right now, you don't have to keep going down that path. It, it, it's not going to be easy going on a different path. Turning to Jesus may, may require counseling, may require someone sitting with you who knows you, who knows Jesus also, and starts to um, untangle all of these things that are in your life that have gotten in your way before. So you don't have to keep going down this path. You can turn to Jesus and find hope. I just want you to encourage, I want to encourage you with this. Think about this. What does the repentant you look like in 10 years? The repentant version of yourself. What does the repentant you look like in 10 years? What would be different? If you just, you know, God, God showed you something in your life, like, okay, yes, I see that. I need to repent of that and, and decide, and I'm going to follow after Jesus in this. What would be different? What would be different when you look at yourself in the mirror? How would you look at yourself differently in 10 years? If you just decided, I'm going to repent today, and I'm going to start following after Jesus in this area of my life. What would be different? What would be different about your marriage? What would be different about the way you and your spouse interact with each other? What would be different about you and your relationship with your kids? What what does repentant you look like? What would be uh, the repentant version of you? How would your friendships be? With your classmates? With your coworkers? What would your life look like? How different would it be? How much purpose would you live with in that moment as, verse, as versus like what you've lived with today? What if you got to the point where you repented of the fear of people that you have and began sharing your faith with other people? How many people's lives would be completely and utterly changed for eternity if you repented of that fear and started actually following him in that way? What would be different? A lot of times we only think about like a week ahead in our lives. Like, okay, what does this week look like? What is it today? I'm going to get through this. Sometimes we need to zoom out a little bit and have a little bit of perspective. What, what does the repentant you look like in 10 years? And the question is, to end, what do you need to repent of? Uh, God knows, and, and, and he wants to show that to you. So I encourage you, as we're about to um, sing, as we're going to pray and then sing, I encourage you to spend some time wrestling with this with God and say, and maybe some of you, you already know what it is. Like, uh, it's already on the, the tip of your tongue. As soon as I started talking about this, you were like, okay, thanks, Brandon. You were like reading my, you know, emails or text messages. Well, you know, I, I wasn't, I promise. Um, but, but maybe God already put it on your heart a long time ago what you need to repent of. Maybe, maybe you're not sure, though. Maybe God um, still is yet to reveal that to you, but, but maybe it's false hopes. You need to put your hope in Jesus. Maybe it's staying in the dark. Walk out. The light has dawned. He is here. Hope is here. Maybe it's believing your sinful past more than God's gracious future. God's given you grace. His grace is far greater than any of your sin. Do you believe that? Have you Giving grace to yourself the way God has given grace to you. Maybe it's clinging to control. Like because uh, you, when you envisioned ten years ago when what your life would look like today, you had a picture in mind. It's not what it's not what actually came true. You look at the gap between where you thought you would be and where you actually are, and it makes you frustrated and mad. 
you maybe need to repent of that and stop clinging to control and trust that God's doing what he needs to do in your life if you start to actually pay attention and follow after him. Or maybe you're not taking responsibility. Maybe you need to repent of that and see, okay, I've actually been, I've had more responsibility in this than I thought. And I can actually decide today to change and follow after God. And the Holy Spirit's going to meet me in that. He's going to change me from the inside out. And I'm going to go on an adventure with God for the rest of my life. I don't know what, what it is for you, but I would encourage you as I pray right now, um, start, start wrestling with God on that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, um, you know what it is that plagues us. You know what it is that we've uh, drifted into the darkness with. Um, and, and we're grateful, God, that you um, see us in our struggles and you see us in our victories and in both uh, opportunities, in both instances, you, you call us to point our eyes toward you. Uh, Jesus, you're the author and perfecter of our faith and we're grateful that you went ahead of us to show us uh, what we're called to, to show us how to actually honor God in our lives. And I pray that as we open our hearts to consider what it is that you want us to change. God, we, we ask you to meet us in that. And help us not put our hope in ourselves, but to put our hope fully in you. And as the Holy Spirit works in us, as we surround ourselves with Christ-centered relationships, God, I pray that you would bring us into a space in the future that we, we would never have written that script because it's so much better than we could have ever imagined. We love you, Jesus. Please hear us as we sing to you. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast by First Church of Christ in Bluffton, Indiana. For more information, visit FCCFamily.com.